Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. We know who you are. You are the hardcore cycling fans. We're looking at you. It's Catalonia stage four. A sort of misc sprint stage midweek from Yivia to Sabadeg. We'll do it first, just like we did yesterday, and then we'll do Brugadapana women's race second, which was another really good cracking addition. And I got to fortunately watch. That was my focus today. Uh, but the stage in Catalonia, 188 k's, with the lack of serious climbs in the last 20 k's, and the gentle stage up it is up and down but nothing too severe beforehand the flat finish in Saturday was likely seeing the well second sprint we could say if you count stage one Remco could theoretically move up on GC if he took loads of GC positions we'll talk about that more in a second but mostly looking like breakaway but if you want to unlock the fast track kind of like David de la Cruz in the break today Zwift's Tour of Watopia is on now until April 6th. You can double down on the fun with the five-stage Tour of Watopia. You'll get fitter as you earn double XP during every event. Not just a double XP weekend, double XP until April 16th. You can hop in the saddle, tear across the flats, past landmarks, and explore the biggest climbs in Watopia. There's also double duration power-ups for an extra boost. So go and check it out. If you're already on Zwift, which we know many of you are, the Tour of Watopia is on now. But Benji, did you think this could be a breakaway day? Like, it's not the easiest stage to control. I know it's not hard from a GC perspective, but it's also not flat either. The only advantage for the breakaway is that there's not that many sprinters here or pure sprinters here. So if they're like doubting about it, they might send someone else in the breakaway. But today that decision was clearly made early on by a lot of the teams because while on the first climb we had a lot of moves, as in when a stage starts with an uphill, you always have like a lot of people trying to get in the breakaway. But one of those riders was just for the KOM points, which was Guillaume Martin, who actually took the lead in the KOM point standing now with 40 points. So he's happy in probably not Polka because I'm not actually sure what the color is of the of the KOM jersey in this race. That being said, that breakaway with him wouldn't actually last too long. We'd see a, a breakaway go up the road with some notable names in the likes of De La Cruz, which you mentioned at the start of the podcast, Roger Adria, which is one of those talented dudes on uh, Ken Pharma. We've Rougier. got... No- Rougier? <laughs> I don't know, man. Okay. It's Sorry, uh, just a side note. Roger Rabbit. Um, Jack's, Jack Haig's wife is Catalan, and I was like... Anna, how do you say <laughs> Adria? And I already can't say it because he's Catalan, I think. <laughs> it's like, we got to call him Rog, I think, because it's yeah. it's really hard to say the way the Catalans Rock. say it. Anyway, go on. Rocky Adria was in the breakaway. And next to him, we've got Nos Pisteris, who's still hunting for that third Grand Tour stage win in the sense that he got a Giro 1 and a Tour de France 1. Yes, indeed. So he, he's got to be sent to the Vuelta this year to get that final victory of a stage win at the Vuelta to complete the triple there. Same that Molema is also chasing, by the way, but that's completely out of topic here. We've got Juliensen in the break and Torsten Tran, who's actually got a pretty interesting story, no? Because I saw I read recently that this guy had a a doping test that had like a weird result and on checking up on it, it wasn't that he had done something malicious, but apparently he had cancer and the doping test found out about it, which it, it, it kind of saved his life, which is crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, that was last year and he came back to competition pretty quickly afterwards. Um, and yeah, that was a crazy story. And, I think, I don't know if the same thing happened with Fulsang recently or if it was just uncovered or whatever. Uh, something happened literally last night in one of the New Orleans Saints fullbacks, Moreau. He got traded and the physical uncovered that he had Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
Is and this cricket like, or some other sport? NFL, NFL. Okay. New Orleans Saints cricket. Come on now. <laughs> I don't Did fucking know. The- <laughs> 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 uh, that is. Anyway, we'll we'll move on. But yeah, it's these at least at least it's good these things are getting picked up and on a more serious note, yep. like um, you know, get yourself checked if you you never know what could happen. It's better to find it earlier. I know from my family's personal experience. More anyway, doping tests. <laughs> Maybe for Benji after thinking that the Saints were a cricket team. <laughs> are you able to do this podcast? <laughs> like, I get water surely going to get you off. Anyway, breakaway was pretty straightforward. It was just, it, it's a strong break. Like, this is not a joke pro Conti break. These are good guys. They're experienced guys. La Cruz, Pertez, as Benji said, experienced winning break stages. And it's just not hard enough for them. And also, Ineos had the bit between their teeth, Benji. Buoyed by perhaps Ethan Hayter's performance on stage one of Catalonia, they took it upon themselves to control a lot of the day, including with Egan Bernal. So, obviously, and, and these are not Neo pros controlling. Grant yeah. Thomas, you got Tour de France winners, two of them, controlling this stage for you. Well, it's a bit of pressure. climbing like Neo pros this race, though. No offense. <laughs> oh, G was better yesterday. He's just biding his time. His trajectory up. is good. Yeah. yeah. He only peaks once a year, but if he does, damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, we saw Ineos pacing, like you said, and some other teams were also mingling it, but a lot of the pacing near the end when the break was still on a minute was Ineos, like you mentioned, and then the question was going to arise. Was Ethan Hayter going to be in the right position at the finish line? Was he going to be in a competitive position at the sprint? Because like you said, stage one, he was. So there is a light point. There's a reason for them to to somewhat trust the capabilities of, of Hater at this finish line, despite his positioning in the past not being the greatest. Now, we're moving more towards the final of the race here, let's be honest about it. And the break is going to be uh, taken back, but quite late, right? Four kilometers to go, and it, it's not like it was super easy either, eh? No, but I think this is a bit of an illusion. It's where mm-hmm. they, the Pelton... They know they have them in con- in control, yeah. And they're like, we can catch them at ten k's after the last ascent on the straight run in. We can catch them there, but that's boring. Why would we when we know when we can catch them at four k's and we can keep our lead out together? That's why Lotto Destiny didn't pace for a lot of the stage for Milan Menton, who has done. He they did pace later, but he's been quite good in some midweek classics, quite sharp, and. So that's why they're like, oh, well, keep it together, you know, Israel or Bora or whoever, and we'll catch them at 4Ks. And also the break, like, terrain wasn't pulling. De La Cruz looked kind of cooked. So, yeah, it, it, this was not the <laughs> not the craziest stage. Even Alperson, <laughs> they were sort of – we saw more of the GC teams moving up, Benji. Break caught 4Ks. Yeah. Quick step coming up with Remco. And I was thinking, is Remco going to go for this sprint? <laughs> I was hoping he would. I said yesterday, I don't even a pull when it comes to the sprint candidates. But nah, it looks like it was positioning related, trying to get him to, into a position where he's he's stable in that position and then move back later on. Because in, in the last 1.5 kilometers, we didn't see him anymore. Eh? So he was well and truly moved back by that point. But the teams that we did see moving up was Bora with a, a lead out train of of crazy names like uh, Patrick Conrad, legendary sprinter. Iris Helling, pretty good sprint on stage one, to be honest. Very nice. And Frederick Wandal, who I I mainly remember this man always as the man that did the pacing in the final kilometer of Alto de Foya two years in a row. On the Algarve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he's actually, for some reason, I thought he was quite, like had a little bit of a sprint on him. I don't know whether that was based on... I don't think that was based on anything. I think I just decided he would be able to do that. (laughs) Who else? I've got to be honest. I've got to be honest with you. Hand up to quote PFT. I thought he was Patrick Gamper. (laughs) (laughs) I thought he was an 82 kilo ruler. And I now see that he's 61 kilos. Oh, he's young. Oh, he's good at the Rocker Challenges last yeah. year, I think. Eighth in Wallonie, tenth in Piemonte. I might have to look into this guy. Quite punchy. <laughs> anyway, those three were there for Bora Hansgrohe. And just for context, 
after stage one, Edith Schelling gave a really interesting interview, actually. I was bemoaning yesterday on Twitter about, oh, well, some of the interviews are really boring. And listen, most of them are. Like Remco, I think, and Quickstep have admitted openly they sat him down and spoke to him in his Neopro year or something, and they were like, you're going to have to be more boring, <laughs> which is a real shame. No, yeah. that literally happened. And because Remco, I think, is really like got a lot of character, but yeah, understandably it's... keeps it, you know, pretty pretty PR savvy. Anyway, yeah, Shelling, great interview, super enthusiastic. And he said, well, I was supposed to be leading out Conrad here. And Conrad crashed in that horrible crash that took out Yates and Cataldo, I think. Yeah. And so he just went for himself. But then... We get into the final, last big right-hander. Foss has placed Roglic in good position. Remco and Quickstep have gone, sort of disappeared. I guess they were just going to the three-kilometer rule in yeah. hindsight, keeping him safe. Uh, Jumbo were pacing a little bit after that for Roglic. And Alperson are there, but they're not right with Groves. Groves is a little bit deeper in the bunch, and the footage at Catalonia is always really grayed out. It's difficult to see who is who. And as Benji said, we have three Bora. Shelly in front, then it's Conrad, I think, and yep. then Vandal. And we see Schelling furiously giving them the left elbow flick, then shouting at them to do something. And I don't know, it, it's hard for me to really pass judgment on this, Benji, because I assume Conrad was supposed to lead out Schelling who was in the middle and didn't move or do anything, but it's possible either Schelling just decided they would also lead him out. It, there's was, no way Schelling was supposed to lead out Vandal. This was really confusing, 100%. And the fact that Vandal is in third wheel is even more confusing for me. I would expect, I would expect this train order to be, if I had to make it, the order of this train, I'd probably make it Vandal, Conrad and then Schelling based on stage one. I know that Conrad crashed. I know that he had a sprint that an intermediate sprint at the Giro against Almeida two years ago, but that, that's not enough for me, guys. Like, Schelling had, has a recent decent sprint. It was uphill, but he was competitive. So I would have Schelling in last wheel. Schelling, by the way, I, I, I'm transferring to the English pronunciation. <laughs> wow, <laughs> I can't even say pronunciation anymore. <laughs> Edith Schelling, uh, I trust the sprint more. That's what I wanted to say. That's my point. But Alpsen Rider was still ahead of them, right? One Alpsen Rider leading those three Bora Riders into the final corner. Ethan Hater back in Narnia, 25th, 30th position, Shadow Realm, whatever we call it. He's not at the front. And that must be such a bummer for Ineos, right? I think so. And and we're going to start calling it Shadow Realm because probably can't put Narnia on a t-shirt. So <laughs> unless Shadow Realm's from one of Benji's TV shows. Yeah, he's really in bad position. As I'll finish the sprint, as I think Vandal starts to move up someone, Israel launched with Guillaume Bovin on the far side as we're looking at it. Really good lead out from him with Corbin Strong in the pocket. And I'm like, well, I mean, this is a great opportunity for Strong to win his first World Tour race. He won a stage of Tour of Britain last year. He's quite sharp, but unfortunately for him, he had Brian Cocard in the wheel. He skips away. He puts a bike length or two into Strong, but he has... Caden Groves in his wheel, who has 10 career wins, many of them in Asia, but now two Volta Catalonia stage wins. He won stage two last year ahead of Bauhaus on a similar sort of stage, and he wins this stage coming out of Cockard's wheel and very, very quickly moving up and winning by half a wheel, let's say. He won a Volta stage last year too. So Groves uh, losing Andorra and had a profitable world tour career in Spain so far. That's also his first win for his new team, Alperson de Koenig, having moved from Jayco last year. So he'll be happy with that. Alperson did a reasonable job. He was in very, very good position. I wanted, I was like, oh, come on, Lecoq, but then Australian won, so I don't mind. Uh, but yeah, it's this is just a Catalonia sprint. That's what it is. Groves, Cockard, Strong, Schelling. Venturini, he lives. Vandal, sixth. Vibora, Aberastri, Manton, eighth. Marit, ninth. Velasco, tenth. Yeah, Venturini. He'll... Were you surprised that he's alive? 
Or I'm, su- I'm surprised you ran fifth. Okay, 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 okay. Now, what can we say about the sprint? Caden Groves should win a sprint like this against this competition and does. So yeah. that's number one. Two, Bora fucked up whatever they were trying to do. Three, Schelling's pretty good at flat sprints. That's, I guess, something we learned as well. Because I didn't expect he's, this he's either. Back. He's back. He, he's back. But he didn't celebrate as much as he did on the KOM. Then again, he didn't win. So that's logical. Look out, look out for him <laughs> in Brabant. Look out for him there. Yeah, I believe. I believe. I believe in that. Now, when it comes to the rest of the riders, Roglic came in in the same group. Remco Evenepoel came in in the same group. All the GC riders basically came in in the same group, I'm pretty sure. I don't see... A, oh, Mankey's DNS, so something's wrong with him. Uh, I don't know what, though, but he's not at the start here. But, um, yeah, Storm is also... 25th. I was yeah, holding okay. it back to talk about it. It's not what the team wants. And listen, you can't, you can't have a... Just because you pace all day doesn't mean the rider has to win the stage. You can pace yeah. all day because your rider has a 25% chance of winning the stage. And you know what? If you pace and you give your rider the opportunity and they've got a 25% chance of winning the stage, and you do that many, many times across a world tour season, you'll win a lot of races. That's fine. You don't only pace when you have 90% win probability. But what you do probably expect is to contest the sprint. Let's be honest. Like Ineos, after doing all that work today, a lot of work, by the way, from, as I said, I know that Bernal's training, so he doesn't mind. And G, well, it's prepping for the Giro. Like, it's a lot of salary pacing, and Hayter's got to contest the sprint. Um, that's just the short and the end of it. I know you can miss a corner here, you can miss a corner there, but it's just a pattern. So I'm not saying anything probably that won't be said on the bus afterwards, I'm guessing. I doubt G's like, don't worry about it. We'll get the next one. Maybe he will, and he's a good mentor. I'm sure he is too. But yeah, what are your thoughts on it? I agree completely with you. I think that this stage might have been slightly too easy for Hater. In a sense, Hater, I see him being prominent in the stages where the groups have thinned out due to climbs. Because I don't trust his positioning in the larger pelotons. And then I look at, for example, stage six of this race, Moulins de Rey, as the, uh, as the finish line. There's a climb of two kilometers at 8.8%, 10 kilometers from the finish line. So that's a stage where Ineos could really hammer that climb, make sure the likes of Caden Groves tries to drop. Well, Groves won't try, but Ineos will try to drop Groves. And if that works out, then the peloton might be thin enough that a hater might be able to pull it off. But in these full peloton sprints... I just don't trust him to get in the right position by the time the sprint starts. And next to that, I don't trust him to have the sprint to even win against Groves in these flat sprints in the first place. Okay, but Venturini's fifth, man. Okay. <laughs> well, top five is what I'd expect. Yeah, no, I'm, again, I'm not saying he has to win. Yeah. But they pace all day. You got to... And maybe he... I, don't, I haven't looked where he was with 1K to go. He got detached from the lead out, I think. Um... And Hyduk, I don't think, is here. So, yeah, I'm sure, like, there could be a reason why it didn't work out today. But it's kind of similar to a few things that happened last year. So, but then again, he got it really, in my opinion, he got it right, the positioning on stage one. And that was a really hectic running with a sharp descent. So, you might be right, Benji, stage six. The same thing happened in Romandy. He missed out on one of the earlier stages they paced, and then he won the next day. And... Stage six, as you shushed pointed everyone. out, pun, and he <laughs> shushed everybody. <laughs> Problem I'm I'm seeing is the break might win that one. So that's yeah. if he wants to win that from the group, that's going to be a hard old task from Ineos. Uh, but tomorrow's stage, the big one, 178 Ks. It is a hockey sticks Unipuerto stage, finishing on Tortosa, the Mirador del Portage on Loport, which is 8.6 Ks at 8.8%. It is pretty steady, to be honest. It varies between the shallowest is 7.2, but most about 8.5. And then there's a few Ks in the nines, but nothing over 10. And the last uh, 8.5 for the last 2 Ks. So it's a hard climb. Honestly, it really suits Remco. He's performed very, very well on stages like this the last 18 months with very high level performances, easier climbs than this. So it's from sea level to only a thousand meters it's steep 
It's easy beforehand. It's cool conditions, not raining. We should see huge, huge watts per kilo numbers tomorrow, and I think Remco is going to win pretty handily. Yep, I think he's going to destroy the peloton and everybody else on that climb. I think Roglic will likely be the last rider that drops off his wheel on this climb, but I think the gap will still be significant. I think it won't be a 200 meter from the finish line dropped by Roglic. This this climb is steep enough that the differences will be made earlier, and if Roglic is still on the same limit that he was one climbing stage ago, then then I wouldn't be surprised if Remco drops him with 3K to go on that steep portion, for example. Because if he keeps pushing on the steep parts, if he launches, I don't know, roughly halfway to climb or on the last steep climb even, then the difference will be made there. And I'm also very curious to see what Almeida will do here because he was great on that first climbing stage, then it a bit worse on the second one because he... He said he didn't feel that great after the performance of the day before, which is understandable considering what he had done on that sense. climb. It doesn't make sense. Oh. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Uh, what, is it, what does he mean? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, it doesn't, what, it doesn't feel good because he had a mechanical a day before. Right, he had to go harder than other people, though. Come on. He had to go full gas. <laughs> Everyone's going full <laughs> gas. It doesn't make any sense. He's, <laughs> they can't but, get me in the bus, but... <laughs> Stop hating on Almeida. Come on. We're I don't hate on Almeida. Players. I think he's really good. I think they got to <laughs> pick him up a little bit and be like, come on, Zhao. I'm, I, that's the, uh, the opposite. Um, but he's going to drop early on this three? climb. Ooh. Chicone is a difficult one to beat, though. I think it's going to mm. be fourth behind Chicone on this one. I will say, however, I expect him to drop early like on Burgos. Or like on oh, Naya. you think Roglic will top three? Yeah. I think he's going to get second on this climb. I think he follows Remco and it could be a problem. Blows like himself Like in Pico Yeah. Possible. Because he's not going to realistically do what Almeida does. Like he's going to try and follow Remco. He has to. Otherwise, yep. you just lose GC. Almeida won't do that. So that's where I'm seeing there's a risk to the yep. top three. Possible scenario, quite certainly. Now, when it comes to water climbers on this on this terrain, I hope to see a, a good Kionaita Brooks again. Lenny Martinez, like to see him as well a bit. But overall, we're looking at one man to destroy the rest, and that's Avenipool. And on paper, based on last performances, it shouldn't be a, a two-second gap this time around. So he should be in a Leeds jersey after tomorrow's stage, right? Adam Jates, get in the break, please. Really? Well, like, Almeida's going to do his thing. It's super steep. Why not? He's not going to beat Remco from the group, I don't think. But the break on a flat stage, it's not a, it's a flat stage. Well, the start has like a 3% cl- climb. If uh, I'm just maybe saying. Maybe you can get away there. Tarame, Yates, Tullet. You could have a pretty strong mountain break here with guys who have lost a fair bit of time. Guillaume Martin. Possibly. You don't, you don't get if you don't try. I don't believe in it. Me either, but you I think why? you should try it. <laughs> Because <laughs> Quickstep has an entire team except Avenipool yeah. to face here. Because if I'm them, I trust to go to the final climb with just Avenipool. Yeah, and basically Elon does a three-minute pull and then he Snaps off he goes. Off. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, should be like from a Wasp per kilos aficionado's perspective, an interesting stage, hopefully at least. But that was Catalonia uh, GC all to play for tomorrow. Now, back in Belgium, we had Brugge de Pana. The women's race. We've got E3 tomorrow. It is pancake flat. The weather didn't look as diabolical as yesterday, but still cool, cold, bit windy. 164Ks from Brugge to Depana. They're doing laps of Demuren over and over yep. and over again with crosswind. Um, we had here a very, very strong teams, unlike in the men's race where we were missing like the top classics riders. We had Balsamo here. We had Vibers, Shari Basoit, Bastianelli, Pfeiffer Georgie with Yastrab and Charlotte Cool, Coponi. So really good teams here. Although SD Works only started with uh, five riders with Majora, Shackley and Unikin, but yeah, it was it was open again. Four. 
One, two, three, four. Just want to correct your math skills there oh, four, for a yeah. second. <laughs> anyway, so many crashes at the start, and a lot of teams continued with four riders as well after those crashes, considering the likes of Abbasinelli ended up in a ditch early on in a in a very big crash, which was across the peloton, loads of riders on the on the road. But this was before the broadcast properly started, and well, the race got neutralized during that because. I'm guessing it's once again for the same reason where the road is so blocked with riders and with bikes everywhere that the ambulances can't pass to the peloton if another crash happens ahead. So if another second crash happens, then there's no medical support. So as a consequence, neutralization of the race continued a solid five to ten minutes later. So nothing too crazy. Then crosswinds started happening the second that they went into the mood. And then you notice every time, eh? but there's a bit of a different thing here. I feel like there's a difference between the crosswinds we see in the Muren here than in the men's race, where in the first two Muren with the women's race, it's more that just everybody tries to go to the front and there's no collective action of just one team launching the echelon. Or was I blind? No, although, like, Pfeiffer Georgie said they tried a bit earlier, uh, even before the Murren to open it up. They, which is interesting because they got Charlotte Cool here. That the race plan wasn't, which has been in the past, to ride like a closed off stage, bring Cole to a sprint, which is good to see because Pfeiffer Georgie's probably overall not a probably she is overall a better classics rider than Charlotte Cool. So yeah. she wasn't just in the lead out domestique service for. Uh, Charlotte are cool, but yeah, I was surprised, Benji, that SD Works were so active. But I guess if you can't beat them, join them. Like yeah. it's kind of a new AE tour stage one. Everyone knows it's going to kick off. You may as well be the team like Bahrain with Bill Bow and Co. We'll just launch it because if you're not and you're at the back of the rotation and someone else does, you could be caught behind a split. Exactly. And it felt so obvious because before we got to that the mood and section, we saw SD Works basically spend the likes of Anna Shackley, which is the climber in this team, by the way, pacing on the section before the Murin to keep Wibbus in the first three riders before the Murin. So they just spend a lot of riders in positioning before the Murin. And when it really mattered, there was not much support left around Wibbus when the real echelon started occurring. Now, there was an echelon that happened during those uh 74 kilometer the Murin the first time they went through there but after a bit the tempo started dying to be honest and another crash happens just after it uh, which is also once again another rider in a ditch and it was an odd crash because from the helicopter angle Tita Noyen is the rider that went into the ditch and she kind of like touched the wheel and then started heading sideways straight into the ditch and oh looked looked pretty deep for a ditch as well so pretty painful but she she jumped out and Continued riding. Anyway, 7K later, second Demurin. And once again, Crosswind's being pulled not just by one team, but like, but by the leaders of every team that want to stay ahead, except for Charlotte Cole, who wasn't really there at this point. And a group starts to be created, right? And it's a solid group, including good riders, right? Good riders, multiple teammates from the strong teams. We had Julie de Vilde and Schweinberger. Uh, the Austrian champ, I think, from uh, De Koenig. We had two Kenyan Shram with Besoit, who just won a race, and Michael van der Duen. Barnes, Alice Barnes is strong. Lorena Vibers, we all know who she is. Balsamo as well. So the two leaders from the two strongest teams in the Peloton, Trek and SD Works, represented. But Emily Diedrichsen, who's gone uh, back to You Know X, the former world champion, I think, in like 16, she was yep. quite good today. The two key riders here are Pfeiffer Georgie and Megan Yastrab. Now, Yastrab, we sort of penciled or circled rather to have a a better season this year. I think the young American, she's still like 20, I think. Um, yeah, 21, just turned 21. And Pfeiffer Georgie probably, I mean, difficult to say on the basis of just opening weekend, but when Kopecky went, there was only one rider that got close to her on the moor, and that was Five for Georgie. So she Did, is a top, top classics rider. I think you mentioned her for Roubaix this year as a potential winner in the preview of uh, of the DSM women, but really? definitely a rider that 
is going to perform in that race, I'm pretty sure, because she was close last year, if I recall correctly. But you're right. She's so good. Those are two key riders. And the key element as well is that there's there's dynamics between these teammates of teams because Schweinberger and DeWilde. DeWilde is the faster rider. Georgie and Jastrab. Jastrab's on paper the faster pure sprinter, even though Georgie has a solid sprint as well. And when we look at Bosaida and Von der Duin, there it's a bit closer because Von der Duin has had solid sprints. Bosaida has solid sprint as well in the past. So it was interesting what those teams were going to do because you'd expect the attacks later to come from these teams. And it took a while because at this point, 62k to go, the gap is 18 seconds, which is nothing. But then it started increasing. 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes. And you know it's going to be fought out in this group because the rest of the peloton is in the Shadow Realm. Now, Bad news for Vibers. Okay. Like, well, if it's always 15 seconds, they can't start playing, right? Yeah. They can't start conserving. So, and you, when we saw the UAE at a queue, one of the teams chasing, they'd missed the split and they're quite a strong team. They've got Bastianelli. But then when you see one of their riders in the middle trying to bridge the 30 second gap, you know the race is completely done. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's called a potato cha- chase where Benji is from. And <laughs> so that's the signal for the race being uh, Le Fini for group two. And as I said, like I was kind of surprised Vibers is working so willingly, to be honest, because yeah. like it's not the worst situation. You start the race with four riders, you're not exactly going to be able to control the final 40 kilometers with four riders with one leader very easily. Uh, so I'm not going to say just have your team come back, but it's also not great to DSM in the group with you. Like it's, uh, it's yeah, I just thought trouble was brewing for Vibas and Balsamo because they're too quick. There's no yep. like, ah, oh, we might beat them in the finish with the Astra. <laughs> <laughs> you will lose. So <laughs> you have to be aggressive and open it up. Um, and we would, it was just a question of when. And yep. I think it didn't... What kind of happened was DSM tried to re-split it in the last Muren section, right? Yeah. Just when they passed the, the, the traffic plate on the right, that said the Muren is starting here. We see those two DSM riders moving up on the left side of the road. Kind of surprising half the group, to be honest, with the speed that they came by. It was Jastrap, no, it was Georgie with Jastrap in the wheel that was at the front of the group. And they hammered that pace and immediately split the group in half, basically. And the riders that were still there at the front were the likes of Wibus, were the likes of Balsamo. And if I recall correctly, I think also Shadi Boside was still in that group and Diederikson. So she was, that's the group yeah. we have left. But while it's splitting, we've got a bit of a gap on the likes of um, Alice Barnes and Julie Duell, who are very close on the wheel still. But then Barnes seems to like go to the right of the road and slightly moves left and hits the back wheel by a, a tiny bit, a tiny bit of the rider in front of her, goes down, hits her head really hard. Julie Duell goes over her, hits her head really hard as well. Immediately thought, okay, these riders need a concussion check, 100%. And I will say now, what is it with cameras staying on injured riders so much this last week? We saw it with the likes of Cataldo so much where they stayed yeah. looking at him so much. And then with the crash of Kenny Lison, I think the stage yeah. after in Catalonia, same thing. And now in this crash, we basically ha- had a view of them doing a They doubled a back check. to her. Like yeah. 10 minutes later, she, they doubled back. I was like, come on, man. It's, I don't know. Like you got you have to show the crash. You have to show the replay of the crash. You have to show an alternate angle of the crash. We need to know that for why the crash occurred. Totally get it. But yeah, yeah. you don't need to linger on the riders lying on the ground. 100% agree. And after that, Muren is where we see first the games begin. As they enter th- sort of a town area, Yastrab goes initially, which is the correct thing to do because she's not going to be the Georgie Stronger in this sort of move. This is with like seven, eight k's to go. She's closed down, I think, by Balsamo. And maybe even yeah. Basoit was helping as well. She was a little bit too active helping. Viva's not helping. And we know. Yastra moves to the left. Georgie's menacingly at the back. The others fan out to the right. And this is the same way Volgren attacked in Omelette 2018. 
It's the same way the note attacked in Kerner. You attack on the gutter side of your teammate and they can then block off your wheel a bit and the others can't react as quickly. And there was a divider in the road just afterwards. It was like the perfectly timed attack. So Vivas and Balsamo couldn't swing from the right, sprint yep. directly onto Georgie's wheel. That creates the initial separation, which she needs to turn it not from a sprint anymore, but into a 30-second effort, which is a different kettle of fish for the sprinters. And it reminds me completely uh, towards the attack that Asgreen did in H3 in 2021, I think, where he also went on the other side of the divider and people needed to respond immediately to close the gap. And because the gap's already there, the doubt is starting to kick in with everybody else of like, if I close this now, I've got my my sprint done. I can't spend my energy here. Otherwise, I'm losing the sprint afterwards. And the value here is that because of that action they did on the final Muren, 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 Jesus, I can't even speak Flemish anymore. Because they had that move, there's only one team with two riders in that group, which was DSM. So there's no teammates for all these other riders. So a Balsamo looks at others. She tries chasing a tiny bit. A Wibbers looks at others. She tries chasing a tiny bit. Basait tries chasing a tiny bit. But we all know it's gone, right? We all know she's gone. And from Didrikson, it won't come because you know that UNOX will go for the UCI points at all costs and will never sprint towards a wheel to risk losing more UCI points at the finish line. And we saw that from that point onwards because Amalie Didrikson didn't take a single turn from that point the entire rest of the race in that group and sat in last wheel preparing for the sprint for second. <laughs> and what was curious, when we saw that Vibas wasn't immediately taking over, that's a death knell for the group. Because if Basoid yeah. is pulling, Balsamo is pulling, and she tried her best Balsamo, but Vibas isn't pulling, there is just absolutely no way that you are going to keep pulling with her and your wheel. And I thought... Is she letting Balsamo keep this gap at six seconds and then she's going to try and snap close it? The answer was no, as in she did try some sort of move, but it really didn't go anywhere. And uh, I don't even think Vibas, I think she was a little bit tired actually. And Georgie was incredibly strong. And once, as that gap, yeah, once you have it out to, you've been out there alone for a minute, two minutes, you just become more and more likely that you're going to win the stage because no one's going to want to chase behind. Perfect tactics from her, perfect tactics from GC, uh, from DS, DSM and not GCN. I don't think they have a pro cycling team. Um, and they deserve the win today. And that's actually yep. her first World Tour win and really first, like she won British National Champs and she won a 1.2, but it's her first like pro win. So that also surprised me. Uh, winning ahead of Balsamo, who beat Fibers in the sprint a minute 10 behind. Yastrab in fourth, Pasoic fifth. Dietrichsen, despite sitting on, still came sixth because she let out the sprint. Michael van der Doen beat Schweinberger for eighth, and then Consoni won the bunch sprint ahead of Sanguinetti behind. I think uh, it's this is now the playbook to beat Vibers, right? The problem is, in other races, there'll be Kopecky in this group. Yeah. Exactly. And maybe even other riders. So this is a, a scenario that likely won't happen on the biggest step of races. In Kent Babelheim, we're likely going to have a larger group as well. Depends on the echelons and the Muren early on. Uh, before we get to the hills, I'm not... A, do the women's circuit do the Muren as well in women's race of Kent Babelheim? I actually don't know. I have to take a look at the, at the parkour. That being said, Vibis is clearly more versatile than last year, right? She was already strong in like uh, Ronde van Drenthe 2021. She was really versatile with the rest of the team there where they have like four riders in the first 10 riders in a group and then it went to a sprint and so forth. But I feel like we didn't see that too much across last season as much as we saw it this year so far. And I do think Quibbs is in position number one to win Kent Wevelgem now. Yeah, I think so. Like, it's so far from the finish, the last climb and unless there's savage crosswinds like there were in 21, it still came back then and Vosman from the sprint when Trek went too early. So yeah, number one favorite, unless Kopecky has other ideas, which we don't know, could always be possible. But yeah, a really nice win for 
uh, Pfeiffer Georgie. She is 22. She's signed through 25 at DSM. They obviously believe in her. She's now come in the top 10 of all three. No, sorry, that's not true. She didn't have uh, Trenta, but she fifth in Omelette, ninth in Strada, first in Brugge de Pana. Cannot wait to see how she goes at uh, the other one-day races she'll be targeting this season. Otherwise, around the traps, we had Settimana Internazionale, Copi e Bartoli, Ben Healy won a group sprint, not a group sprint, a small sprint from a group of <laughs> Pozzavivo and Padun, his teammate on a Healy course. I think Padun gave him a lead out, but there's also yep. no television coverage of this. But Ben Healy's a nice rider, 22, showed some things last year, Lavenier stage winner. He's just a... Uh, I don't know, it looks like a future GT breakaway winner to me. And that's also what EF Education Easy Post like from their riders. In terms of GC, he is nowhere near. Uh, Calzoni was in the break, though, initially. He was Pulled looking the pizza. good. good. <laughs> yeah, he's actually he's second on GC, eight seconds behind Mara Schmidt now. So they're in a group behind with Engelhart and Schmidt. Varda, Leo Hater, etc. So tomorrow we have another hilly stage. All these stages look kind of similar. This is a bit more punchy. There's a 11% 800-meter climb with about 9Ks to go. What will be interesting to see, I think Globe DNF today, whether, yeah, how Leo Hater goes, how Schmidt goes. It should suit Schmidt, actually. Uh, Sean Quinn won yesterday, as we said. But yeah, just something to monitor. That's a good testing ground for the young guys that uh, that race. Any other news, Benji? Not really, right? When it comes to when it comes to cycling, we had the races that we mentioned so far were ones that we rode. The Olympia Tour is happening in the Netherlands, but if we're going to start mentioning uh, that, we can also talk about the Volta a Alentejo in in Our Portugal. producer Luke would like us to mention the Olympia. <laughs> Luke, do you have anything to say about the Olympia's Tour? Given I know you watched it. Enter crickets. Typical Dutch race, right? No television coverage? No. But echelons. Echelons. Big caps. Reduced groups. All right. Dutch groups, the hardest. Dutch racing is the hardest racing. That's what I'm hearing. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. E3 Saxobank Classic is tomorrow. Of course, the races which are on a weekday, if they're a one-day race, should not be World Tour status. That doesn't mean this doesn't have a good start list, though. How this differs from the Tour of Flanders to my um, uncivilized Australian eyes, I don't know. It just looks like a lot of climbs. Wow. It's 205Ks. It's one hour less. It, yeah. What is this race? I like what it. I'm going to enjoy it. But what is it? The enjoyable part about A3 for me is that it's the kind of race where the parkour has multiple acts. We know that there's an act before the climb start. That's a normal one where they control the breakaway and so forth. But then the hills start and then it's like a resting period. And that resting period will likely only be a certain amount of riders that will already be top riders because there's likely going to be action on the earlier climbs already because last year and the year before we saw we saw the action pop off on the time bed already so there's a, a possibility that once again the race opens up at 82 kilometers and that we then see a resting period afterwards where there's like a group ahead in the same way that it was for the last two years so that's the that's a differentiator with rvv where that can also happen but you still have the combination of how the Quarmon and Paterbeck 17 times next to that in Ronde van Vlaanderen. So, yeah. Is this race parkour better than the Tour of Flanders? kind of think it is. Well, get they the do, fuck out of here. Why? They do um, quarter Krokerberg, which is 1,207.3%. They do that 100Ks out, and then it's just a succession. That's a hard climb. And then they have a succession of Kortekir, Tyenberg... Not too much flat. Like Flanders kind of before second Quarmont, bit mid. Bit mid. <laughs> From like eighty Ks to fifty five Ks to go. What do they got but in that zone? It's like You don't rate the Mullenberg. Um, I'd have to look. This looks Yeah. Anyway, start list, Pagacha, Alaphilippe Asgren, Vonderpool, Surencra. Van Aert-Laporte, Benoit, the Jumbo Visma super team, Van Avermaet, Kosnifra, Bini is back, 
uh, Morich right. It's as good a start list as you could ever want for a World yep. Tour one-day race. So despite my bitching and moaning, uh, <laughs> I cannot wait to watch it. Ganner also going. I wonder if he does well, whether he'll yep. be shoehorned into Ineos RVV squad. That's something to watch out for, as well as Joshua Tarling, uh, their Neopro, who is making his, yeah, starting there. I'll be keen to see how he goes. I presume he'll be on early duties. Ben Turner also coming back from injury. Uh, I saw him at the start of stage one on the bike. So, I mean, that anecdote means nothing, but he's riding here. So low pressure, but keen to see his shape after his uh, unfortunate crash. So who you got, Benji? This is the typical, this is the race where Jumbo Visma blow everyone out of the park, MVP and Pog, kind of look under the underdone and uh it means nothing for flanders oh i think this one might actually mean something for flanders really yeah i generally believe this means something for flanders just because this is the first time we will see this year where a strong yumbo visma team tries to beat the likes of a stacked relatively stacked as in just pogacar plus wellens at uae and also, next to that, Alpacin at their full force, full force for the couples as well. So, it's the first time that we have all the best riders at their teams here. So, I think this will give an indicator of what the level is of these riders towards Ronald of Lanaren. And also, next to that, how well they work together. Like, will Wellens be able to launch the likes of a Pogacar on a climb? Or will he already be blown out of the water if Jumbo strikes early on? on for example, on the time back like they did last year. So... What will happen as a consequence for all these teams? I think this will actually be a, a pretty damn good race, and I think it will already uh, give a, a short telling towards the, the Ronde van Vlaanderen. But RVV is longer, more kilometers, more climbs towards the end, so can still be decided later on. Yeah, and yeah, I agree. I think it's a little bit more representative than Dwar's Duel next week. Yeah. Uh, because this More is than last year. Particularly more than last year, and also Pogaccio, I think, got caught up in a crash, and then he had to chase into his door, and kind of ruined his race. But yeah, the starless Kung, Jorgensen, Sturven, Pedersen, like unbelievably good. Uh, who have you got for it? Oh, I don't know. Actually, it, it I found it very difficult to predict this one because. On one end, you could think, ah, oh, Jumbo might once again send the likes of a Van Bala forward in the same way they did it at Omlop. And if you look at the rest of their team, they've got plenty of riders that, that do that. The only thing that I do want to talk about quickly before we end it off is, what if, for example, Jumbo knows that Van Aert is their looked-at rider in their team, knows that Van der Poel will mark everything Van Aert does, knows that Pogacar will mark everything that Van Aert does. But who will mark the likes of a Van Bale and Laporte or Benoit early? And that's when a certain Kra Andersen, a Hermans, and a Wellens will be sent. But if I'm Jumbo Visma, I'm happy with Laporte being with those riders. You ain't right? not going to send Wellens. No way. They do Don't you with... think they'll reserve him for the lead out? Slovenia sent Trotnik with Remco Evenepoel. When? In the World Championships. Yeah, but Pog didn't have it. And that was Slovenia. I don't know. Yeah. Don't you think Wellens... To, don't you reckon he's going to be reserved for the leader? I agree with you. It's a natural thing to do. Mm-hmm. I think Søren Kral's more likely. But like when you look at those Flanders behind the... Søren Kral's a nice rider, but when you look at the uh, Flanders behind the scenes documentaries and the Rudolph brothers, um, they're like, Literally, you have one job to everybody is to make Matthew Van der Poel win. So I don't know. <laughs> like, it was great. He was up there in the Poggio, but he also got dropped. Like, you can put him in the group with Dylan Van Bala. I'm taking Dylan Van Bala over Soren Cry Anderson. Um, over? Dylan yeah. Van Bala? Yeah, yeah. Me too. Yeah, what you said earlier. So that... That's what I'm trying That's to say. That's not a risk. I like, think they're willing to take. Do you think they'll take like that Alperson risk? And... That... I think, I think you will take that risk. I mean, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Because yeah. if you don't put them there, then you chase. <laughs> and so you burn them anyway. And it's not only that you burn them anyway, but in what way will you chase? Because will you just 
pace with your team at the front, Trentin and Wellens. Like, I think they did that at some nah, point in the last year. They got to launch Pogacar then. They'll try to launch Pog across, yeah. But then he does that to Dylan. Okay, great. Now you got Walk four Jumbo Visma. <laughs> <laughs> and you got no teammates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's but the, I can't wait to watch. These are all the questions that yeah, I love this stuff. I can't wait to watch even though yeah. It's it should be a good one. I just <laughs> I just don't know why it's on a Friday <laughs> like <laughs> I guess to give space to Hand Wevelhen, but yeah. Anyway, I'm really keen to see how Quickstep go with Alaphilippe and Asgren. They are the big question marks. Of course, Remco's doing well in Catalonia, but there is, you know, Vara's Quickstep in the Vaudiar is in all the Flemish price, uh, papers. For Benji's reference, that's where is Quickstep in spring. That's a Dutch. Uh, I speak it. Actually, funny story. I was at, oh, um, here we go. So, <laughs> Yumbo's Hotel somehow... Is a Dutch hotel. Maybe because so many Dutch people are like, are you kidding? Um, so I get there, go to the front desk, and I, I, I speak to them in Spanish. And they they look at me like when Spanish people speak to me. I was like, what's going on here? And then and then they heard Yamba Visma, they go back, come back, and then they, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they start speaking to me in Dutch. And I was like, are they podcast listeners? Like, don't they know... Like, it's a bit. I don't actually speak Dutch. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a bit. But I do, but I don't. Um, And that was terrifying. Um, Especially because I know that's not true. I understand Flemish. I don't speak Dutch, just to clarify. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I understand West Flams. Anyway, (laughs) let us know who you think will win E3 tomorrow. How will it change Flanders? We can't wait to watch. We'll have the recap of the Catalonia uh, Remco Fest and the big race tomorrow. Until then, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 